both of the ways And then you know you're a And you don't have to be afraid of anything Cause you know, you know the truth and the truth The truth is love, yes it is Wasn't what they said to you Or anything that you learned From a book or from news It's not like that cause it's a thing It is something that you do Welcome to the baseline. I'm Jeremiah Hosea. It is a lovely Friday afternoon. We're here in New York City, and I'm joined in studio with today's guest. Another treat, indeed. We have my good friend. Can you please say hello, Kevin Nathaniel? Thank you, Jeremiah. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me here, man. Oh, man, I'm so excited for our conversation. Now, first of all, let me say, Kevin Nathaniel is a master Mbira player. He's a percussionist. He is a leader in the community. He um, is a member of the Spirit Ensemble. I've had the honor of performing with the legendary Spirit Ensemble a few times uh, through uh, my connection with Brother Kevin Nathaniel. He's performed with my group, Earth Driver, over the years. We formed a new group called the Healing Sound Ensemble with our brother Michael J. And actually, I want to send well wishes to Michael J.'s mother, who I know um, had an accident, and uh, you know we're sending her healing energy and love. And um, we also have our little duet group, which we've called Spirit, Spirit of the Earth. Earth. <laughs> yeah, yes. Spirit Earth or Spirit yeah. of the Earth. And um, Kevin Nathaniel, he's he's always been a, a, a wonderful brother to know and just a, a wonderful musician to play with. And when the COVID scenario started changing all of our lives, we sort of made eye contact across the room, figuratively speaking, and sort of recognized, hey, you know what's going on here and I know what's going on. And we started supporting each other and working together. And a lot of great collaboration has come under these emergency circumstances. But um, before we get into that conversation, Brother Kevin, can you give us a little bit of uh, your background? Can you tell us how you got into music and when did you discover the Ambira? How did you get involved with Spirit Ensemble? Yeah, I'll keep it sort of the short story. Um, and that is that uh, I got into music kind of late in life, uh, my early 20s, 21, 22, and, and how what led me into music was hearing a lot of uh, Mbira music. And when I heard it, it just stuck in my head. And so I was walk, I walk places and hear Mbira music in my head. And I knew that uh, I had to start getting involved with this instrument. And, uh, and it also happened that mysteriously, everywhere I had to go, there was some connection to Mbira music there. And so I was leaving college when I first started hearing Mbira music. And mysteriously, I had to go to Seattle right away. And in Seattle were some of the ones, some of the pioneers who brought Mbira music here from Zimbabwe, Dumisani Marari and Ifat Mujuru, both in Seattle. And I didn't know they were there. <laughs> I had an idea Dumi was there, but I didn't know Ifat was there. So I wound up connecting with them and hanging out and um, you know, being with their ensembles. And eventually, I started on this journey. 
and the journey kept leading me back around into the circles of Embira music. Uh, and probably what cinched it was I was talking to a university professor back in 83, mentioning my interest in Columbus and Embira's, and she invited me to be Ifat's assistant for a workshop he was doing in Goshen College in Indiana. And once I started doing that assistantship with IFAT, then it was cinched. I was, you know, basically working with IFAT, um, learning how to build instruments, learning a lot about the culture, the music. And from then on, you know, then it was just a constant growth. It was constant. You know, I came to New York shortly after I got to New York. Um, I'd come because I knew that it was an open place for, and the world music scene was, was just beginning. People were interested. And shortly after I got here, it was only like after a couple months, I started working with Spirit Ensemble. I got here in 85. Only a couple months of being here, you know, cats from Spirit Ensemble, especially Jimmy Cruz, found me and uh, asked me to work with the group. And, uh, and the group hadn't blown up before that time. It blew up like literally months after I joined the group. Wow. It blew up. So It's an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah. You know, and so when I came to New York, I was – you know, first working odd jobs, you know, because I was here for music. So I was like, okay, any, any job I take is just going to be an odd job. I worked several odd jobs and um, saw a lot of the odd job scene back then. And, uh, but then once Spirit Ensemble took off, I, I had to leave all my odd jobs and just do that, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that, that led me to uh, sort of just being in music uh, full-time for a long time. And... Um, I would say that, you know, things for Spirit Ensemble began to slow down once the music scene in New York began to change. I don't want to go into a long story about that, but a lot of us who were here throughout the 90s know what was happening with the music scene in New York. Yeah. And um, so that began to change. So Spirit Ensemble was less on the scene, and then I began to work with other and create other ensembles and do a lot more solo work. And um, all of that you know, became challenged. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of the story now, but all that became really challenged in uh, 2020 when the lockdown came in place. Absolutely. Uh, because all musicians were then left with a really great challenge of how am I going to make a living? Musicians are the ones who, <clears throat> among other groups of people, I imagine, to work directly with people. We, our whole work is community. Right. You know, even if you are recording and you know just sitting back in the studio, you're still working directly with people in some way, and a lot of your work means you have to be interacting with people and in community with people. Absolutely. So speaking of community, uh, before we get into that next phase of our conversation, please give us a little report back from Japan, uh, where I know you spent some time recently. Yeah. yeah. Give us a, a little recap of your yeah. recent trip to Japan. Yeah, I was just in Japan. I got back literally like three, a little more than three weeks ago. Uh, I'll just say that one of the things that touched you right away is an immense sense of graciousness that everybody shares with each other. Hmm. People are in general just as, you know, as they say on GP, very graceful, hmm. very gracious with each other, very polite. Well, Politeness is part of the Japanese culture and part of the Japanese language. But it goes a little further than that because when you walk into places, you kind of get used to people 
giving you this red carpet treatment. Right. And um, everywhere you go, you kind of get used to people being gracious with you and thank you and please and I'm sorry and you know that being coupled with you know anything people's ask, people are asking you. And uh, you that flow kind of touches every aspect of life there, and mm. so you feel that. The other thing that you feel if you're there, if you're coming from here, is it embedded in the culture in Japan is certain like ethical ideas mm. that just flow through the culture. Mm. And I would say one of the strong ethical ideas that flows through the culture is uh, just do your best, do your best. Whatever it is you're doing, do your best. And I was really struck by the fact that, you know, I'm leaving New York City where I live in the hood. I can walk out of my apartment any day and hear people blasting music that is full of really derogatory, defamatory terms, mm -hmm. really negative ideas, mm -hmm. destructive ideas. Mm -hmm. And seeing how kids have to make their way through that environment. Yeah, it's horrible. And realizing that, oh, if I had a kid, I don't want them, I don't want them hearing that. I don't want them, you know, music you can't block out. You know, you can't put a firewall against music. So if somebody creates songs that are suggesting negative ideas or violent ideas, then, you know, you, you have no choice but to hear it and experience those. Mm -hmm. um, but to be in Japan Dr. and really- Dr. Amos Wilson. <laughs> there you go, you know. But to be in Japan and see that there that underlying in that culture, if nobody's blasting music on the street, but if they were to start blasting music on the street, the underlying theme of most of that music would be do your best. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's interesting? You know I'm an MMA fan. I'm a martial artist, and I do right. follow uh, MMA fighting. You know, people may we'll, we'll save that discussion for another time. <laughs> okay. But I was just going to say, as far as MMA goes Japan is a big market for MMA and, and there's a lot of the, the great fights have occurred in Japan and first of all the Japanese knowledge uh, audience is a very knowledgeable audience in terms of martial arts okay. and the rule of thumb there is as long as you put up a good fight you're always welcome back right you could be right. 0 and 9 oh they'll be right. cheering for you you're gonna get him this time right. oh he lost again but he put up another good fight right you right. know they don't uh they don't hate on you, as yeah. we would say here. Yeah. If you put up a good effort, you get your props. Yes, yes. You know. Yeah, so that, you know, to experience that, you know, being sort of in the air and the water there, it's really beautiful. And to, to know that it's there, because I imagine if you grew up in Japan, you don't even know it's there. It's just, it's just in the air. Right. You know, you don't know, you can't compare it to anything. You know, I'm there comparing it all the time, and I see it. When I get back to New York, suddenly, boom, the stark contrast is there in front of me as soon as I get back to New York. And, but, you know, and there are some other things about being there. Of course, you know, the other thing about being there is that they are, a, you know, a, a culture that um, generally puts a lot of stock in being obedient, mm -hmm. you know, of, of doing what authority says, you know, group think, group community, you know, let's do this together. Um, there are sides of that which are very positive, mm -hmm. but there are sides of that which are, you know, detrimental. Detrimental, yeah, yeah. So it needs to be reconsidered. Uh, so um, I saw that clearly there. I saw that clearly there. That you know, as far as the uh, the uh, whole medical sort of uh, 
tyranny that we've dealt with over the last few years, they've probably been the most, the most besieged upon by it. Mm. You know, it's probably the country that they question it the least in general, and they accepted it the most in general. Right. And um, they are having to deal with it. You know, they're having to deal with the, this is a country where people are on their sixth or seventh jab in general. Mm-hmm. And new ones are coming out every few months. And the recommendation is that we'll get it now because it's free. And if you don't get it now, you'll have to pay for it later. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, you're going to pay, all right. And people are coerced by their almost wherever they're working. Wherever they're working, the coercion works oftentimes like this. Well, the people who take it are gonna get massive raises in benefits. Mm, the people who don't take it are, might get a pay cut. Wow. And so there you are, you know. Social credit system. There you are in Japan trying to explain to your family or whoever it is, your loved ones, that you are not gonna get that, you know, and they're looking at you like, what? What? What did you do? You know, <laughs> why aren't you doing, you know, this is a everybody together sort of culture. Yeah. Why do you wanna do something totally out of the mix, right. out of the box, you know? So let's let's rewind a little bit here in terms of before we extrapolate in other nuanced areas of the discussion. Right. Let's go back chronologically a little bit in terms of your reaction to COVID, the COVID narrative, what we now call Convid. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, in March of 2020, the this announcement of global pandemic swept over the nation and swept over the world. Right. What was your reaction? How did you start adapting? How did your life start changing? Just give us a lowdown about the impact on your life and, and your reaction to it in the first place. Yeah, well, in March of 2020, I was actually on the road, you know, and that's sometimes, you know, I have to explain to people, yes, I am a musician who lives in music, so I'm on the road a lot. Um, so I was on the road, I was in Australia, and I was playing with a, a group that was at the, uh, actually I was the musical director for this theater project that was at the Fringe Festival. And so I was beginning to, I wasn't paying attention to any of the, I wasn't watching any TV, I wasn't picking up any newspapers, I was just, being there doing that. I was just focused solely on that. And so I began to hear things murmuring here and there. Oh, there's supposed to be some, you know, some pandemic or something going around. And still, it didn't seem to affect anything. Everybody's living life normal. I didn't see anybody suffering from anything. Everything looked very normal to me. And then suddenly I began to hear that they were going to cancel concerts. Like, oh, so-and-so is supposed to have a concert next week right here in you know, Australia, and it's been canceled. They have to t- turn, return all the money. I'm like, why? And then what really struck me first was when I, I used to walk to this grocery store um, about 20 minutes away from me. And I walked to that grocery store one day, and they were out of toilet paper. And I was like, what is going on here? You know, this is insane, you know? And so I started trying to figure out what's going on. I literally didn't know why they were out of toilet paper, what, because I wasn't really that plugged in. And then I began to hear little things about, oh, people are preparing. They're preparing for something, for something, you know, major catastrophe. So then I next noticed other things were missing from the grocery store. They began to have empty shelves, hmm. a lot of items. 
And, uh, and so I was like, I was still kind of like, man, this, I'm a little, I'm a little like skeptical about whatever this is going on because my question is why would toilet paper disappear first if there was something really happening, you know? I mean, how was that gonna help you prepare for any kind of catastrophe, stocking up on toilet paper? That, that really made no sense at all. And that, so that made me really skeptical right away. Mm -hmm. And then um, luckily I had to go back to the United States on March 16th, because it was March 2020, I had to go back on March 16th. And I began to hear that they were shutting down flights, mm -hmm. so you couldn't fly back. So I said, okay, I'm getting back before the curtains close on that. And, uh, but all the time when I was, and a lot of the community friends I was talking to in Australia were also similar to me. They were like, why? Mm -hmm. There's nothing that crazy going on. There's nobody falling ill on the street. Everybody's fine. You know, we weren't seeing anything over there that would indicate that that was, you know. And what do they say? The, the disease that's so deadly, you have to take a test to know if you have it. <laughs> right. And the pandemic that's so severe that we need 24-7 media <laughs> reminding you right. that it's happening. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what was going on. You know, I was... Um, I was just, like I said, nothing but skeptical about the whole thing because everything was so fine over there. It was, everything was beautiful, right. and, you know. And then when I got back, I could see the fear in people. I could hear the fear actually on the plane. I could, I could feel it. People were fe fearful. If anybody was on the plane, if they coughed, everybody tensed up. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> and uh, the deadly cough. <laughs> right, right. You know, and so I got back to New York and. Everything you have to clarify. No, it's just a, some scratchiness in my throat. I don't. I don't really right, feel right. sick. Just, I'm just, okay. Yeah, <laughs> just clearing my throat, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, you know, I and like you know, uh, it was a long plane ride. I got back to New York after a lot of traveling, and I noticed that you know everything was slowing down. All these businesses had closed. All these people were just out. You know, because what happened in if you live in the hood is that people were just out on the street talking. You know, there was just, you know, huge numbers of people just out on the street talking, you know, especially all night long. All night long, people out on the street talking. And people weren't dropping dead. Mm -hmm. You know, people were, were fine. And then uh, they began to shut things down and s shut down people's work. And the other thing that really struck me right away was going to the grocery store, which was down the street, two blocks down from me. And for the first time, now this is a mostly Af Afro-Caribbean neighborhood. And if what I'm saying is, if I'm saying mostly Africa, that means people really value working. You know, Afro-Caribbean communities are some of the hardest working communities. You know, they get, they work. They find hustle. They hustle here. They hustle there. So to go into the grocery store and to see for the first time, only like a week or two after I got back into the lockdown, grown men in the grocery store begging for money. That I had never seen before. Mm -hmm. And that would have been considered really ridiculous in that neighborhood because, like I said, it was a neighborhood of hustlers. Mm -hmm. People, if they have to get on the street, and sell widgets on the corner, they'll be doing it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, you have more different kind of, you know, people driving ride services all over that neighborhood than almost anywhere else in New York. The people are hustling. 
So to walk into a grocery store and see grown men, and then it was shortly after seeing those grown men in the grocery store asking for money that they started having security in front of the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Never before was there security guards in front of the grocery store. That's uh, like Noam Chomsky says, hey, you're unemployed, get a job as a security guard. <laughs> Rich people need to be protected. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, That was the old right, Noam Chomsky, right. the good Noam Chomsky, before he lost his damn mind. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, to see suddenly funds, I was like, I'm, I, I, get, I get behind the scene on everything I look at. You know, I always look at things from the angle I see it and then the angle of whoever is right. Mm-hmm. So I always look at it from both sides. And uh, so I'm like, who is figuring out that they need a security card in front of the grocery store, most likely to block out people from coming in and begging? Mm-hmm. Who's got that figured out? And who's decided to divert massive funds that would have been used to employ people for other kinds of work to employ people now in security mm-hmm. to protect the store, most likely from people begging for money. Right. You but know? now let, let's fast forward a little bit because I, I want to get to a few things and I hopefully would like to have some calls at the end of the show, yeah. ideally. Um, but then, you know, I remember you being very vigilantly aware of the farce that is mask wearing. Yeah. You seem to not trust that from the beginning. Yeah. And then as soon as the, the talk of the jabs started, of course, appearing in, as I call it, the one-two punch. Yeah. You know, you go into a boxing gym, they teach you one-two, two, right. jab, cross, <laughs> two <laughs> straight go. punches. There you go. The one hand that's closest to the enemy, yeah. which yeah. is a surprise quick punch, your right. jab, right. and then the straight that's supposed to have something on it, right. you know, right. with a little knockout power right. behind it. <laughs> right. So... You know, you have the jab and the cross, right. and um, the cross being the the jab. killer vaccines, the jab. right? The, the jab, the the, jab. Right, right, exactly. And, the wordplay there. The, the jab, jab was the, the cross. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, right. Um, so you you were aware of that once we had gotten to that phase of yeah. the game. We're past the initial fear, and then this protocol and these uh, emergency things are being implemented, right? Um, where, where were you at that point? You know, you were outspoken. You said, nope, we don't need these jabs, but let, let's let's move into that territory. Yeah, in fact, I was saying we don't need these masks either. I was uh, jumping ahead of all those games. And uh, one of the things I would say, one of the really strong influences was that there were a couple people, and, you know, to name a few, whether people like these people or not, we don't, we don't have to get involved with that. But David Ike was one, if I pronounce his name David, right. David Ikes. Ike, David Ikes. David Ike, Ikes. Yeah, David yeah, Ikes. David yeah. Ikes. Uh, Judy Mikowitz, G- Mikowitz. There were a couple, and then there were several other people, and I'm not, I can't even remember their names right now, who had jumped way ahead. I mean, as soon as this thing started, they started telling you what's coming. Right. They started telling you what's coming for the next two and three years. And I was picking up on this stuff and reading it, thinking, wow, you know, kind of kind of crazy, but, you know, I'm going to at least read it and check it out. So I was checking it out. And then um, I decided to Google Judy Mikovits. Mm-hmm. And when I Googled her, she was, according to Google, a criminal. You know, mm-hmm. they wanted to trash her very existence. I find it very interesting when you say criminal, just to throw in there, that she was arrested, 
detained for, I believe, four days. Yeah. Her computers or records were confiscated, yeah. what have you, yeah. and no charges. Right. So it's just interesting that kind of right. tactic of saying, yeah. we arrested you. Right. We arrested. Yeah, and didn't charge me with <laughs> right. anything. But right. I'm supposed to keep that label as the bad guy. Absolutely. Didn't find me guilty of anything. So, um, you know, I when I Googled her, I immediately, I have a very, very good natural holistic doctor mm -hmm. he's i'd say he's one of the best in the country mm. you know i don't know if i should mention his name in this on the air right now because he might want to protect his you know from being Absolutely. involved with this Un discussion understood but um some of a lot of you anybody who knows me would know who that doctor is and i'll say he's one of the best in the country if not he's he's in the top five anyway I asked him immediately, I said, wait a minute, what's going on with this Judy Mikovic stuff? Because, you know, why is she being trashed? And he said, oh, you know, she's got a lot of important things to say. I'm glad she's getting some attention. You should pay attention to what she's saying. Yeah. So immediately I said, well, wait a minute. You right. Know. And that's a point that I keep making and yeah. I think is a key point is that when I was listening for the dissidents, and I think you should always do that, always keep your eyes and ears open for the dissidents, right. for the dissidents in literature, for right. the dissidents in jazz, right. for the dissidents in any yeah. form of theory or analysis, always look for other alternative perspectives and, and so on. But as all this stuff was just happening so quickly, and, and I started hearing certain dissident voices, many people I could name, I noticed how the dissidents, the people warning us against the dangers of any number of things, including the mRNA platform and so on and right. so forth, they were so much more clear than yes. the people who were steering society, right? right. right? And, and I also find that really amazing. We were talking yeah. about this earlier of what is this crazy atmosphere we find ourselves in where people are lying to protect the liars right. that you can just continue to flip-flop and maintain 100% credibility. Yeah. And all yeah. these things have been disclosed, like this whole discussion about gain-of-function research, and this was going on, and, and they lied about it. Right. And the total disinterest, I find it the disinterest in and of itself to be completely amazing, independent of everything else. Yeah. But then, unbelievable to, to another extent, considering what we've all been through. <laughs> like it's fascinating enough independently, but then you followed all these protocols and you're not interested in the origin of this? I, I don't get that. Right. You know, I talked about that with my discussion with Ryan Christian of Last American Vagabond. And, uh, you know, he referenced, again, Noam Chomsky and the whole notion of manufacturing consent, which is why it's so startling that People like Noam Chomsky don't see that the manufacturing consent principle applies here as well as it ever applied. <laughs> right. as, and people like so, Naomi Klein, who don't realize, oh, uh, yeah, this is the shock doctrine, Naomi. Right, right. You sort of miss the point of your own text. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I have to say, you know, considering all we've been through, you know, I asked Brother Kevin, can we, can we put the music community on blast? Like, I don't want to insult anybody that's not what we're here to do we're not here to pick fights right. but yeah as musicians i'm you know i think we're both disappointed and i'm personally disappointed in a community of people that i thought 
were resistors by nature, and right. I thought could see through things more right. than the average person. And some of those people became the guard dogs yes. of this in a way. They were the yes. ones barking and growling right. and labeling. Right. And um, you know that was so disappointing to see. I call the musicians, you know, I, I call them AKA the weak link in the chain. <laughs> And I realize it's interesting if you look at the, the sort of, I call it like it's a triangulated attack that happened with the mandates because we had New York at one side, um, we had L.A. on the other side, and then we had New Orleans. They yes. threw a little southern right. culture-producing right. mecca in, in its own right, right. And, and you had that triangle effect which takes us to Sun Tzu's Art of War. Right. You know, attack from three angles, right. forcing the enemy in the fourth direction right. type of effect. Right. So, yeah, talk to me about how musicians reacted to you. I, I mean, I saw, uh, let me add quickly before, you, before Brother Kevin answers my question here. Brother Kevin was so masterful. I admire him in how he was just deflecting these fools. I couldn't, I couldn't pull off what he pulled off. I, I was, you know, I was losing followers and friends, and he was just kind of gathering this following. And anybody who was, you know, coming at him, he was just deflecting them so effortlessly. You know, I, might, I don't like blocking people because I don't like them to think that I care. Right. So I don't like right. to do the block button unless right. you're just going to be absolutely spamming my page. Yeah. I let you say what you want to say and yeah. we'll leave everything there. I won't delete any of it. So we right. leave it as a public record of how you chose to represent right. yourself. <laughs> I'm not into censorship. I right. believe, hey, let everybody speak. Let's mm -hmm. get all these opinions out on the table. So mm -hmm. I'm not into blocking, mm -hmm. but I admire Kevin how he was just like, oh, block, block. <laughs> Block, <laughs> block. <laughs> Very smooth with right, it. Right, so yeah, right. tell me about what you observed in our common community, which is just the music makers of New York. Well, you know, first of all, I wanna, I wanna big up the few, the very few musicians who did speak out and did question, and that's very few, because but the very few that did were they suffered censorship. They got censored, you know. They got they got blocked. So, if you wanted to hear them speaking out, if you wanted to hear what they had to say, it was hard to hear it because um, social media and other forms were not allowing that to come through. But in general, too many, too many of them, too too much of this music community, uh, dis said what. Uh, you know, what many of them told me, and that's that, well, you know, I just want to get along. I just want to continue to work with other musicians, and, you know, I don't want to start an argument. I just want to continue to, to play music. I just, I just don't want anything to, to stop my flow with that, you know. And, you know, okay, I understand that. I understand that you don't want anything to stop your flow. I understand that you want to continue to work with other musicians. But when something goes this far into restricting your human rights and everyone's human rights, when it goes this far into what could be considered an attack on civil liberties, a full-on assault on civil liberties, and something that will endanger put the lives of children at risk, then silence in this case is a kind of agreement that it's okay.
mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of a, a giving it your green light, your your stamp of approval. You know, you so at this point, then it becomes a question of if you are putting your business and your um, your art form with whatever it is that you call it, and it's both above whether or not the kids who are just coming into this world get a fair shake and live in a healthy life. If you put, then I really question what you're doing with the art form. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. I do too. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I put it plainly on Facebook and I don't, I'm not gonna, I don't remember the exact words, but basically I'm like, you know, if, if you're doing revolutionary music, quote unquote, and you didn't stand up for this, I don't wanna hear that boogaloo. You know, go go sing some some bubblegum pop or yeah. something. You know, yeah. I don't. I'm not buying it anymore. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah, because this was this was the big one in our generation. Yeah, I this called was it. The big one. Remember, I, I I have an article by the way. I hope you guys check out my Substack. I ask you every week, and I and I'm going to kindly ask you again to check out the article I wrote called "We Missed Our Muhammad Ali Moment." Exactly. Right. Muhammad Ali exactly. stood up and said no. I'm not fighting in Vietnam, and that was a key interval in history. And that's what you know. That's why he's a legend beyond legends. He's not just a great athlete; he's an internationally renowned figure because of that stance that he took. And this was our Muhammad Ali moment. I firmly believe we needed to collectively stand up and say no. And our failure to do so is something that we're paying for right now, and we're going to have to continue to pay until we mobilize a strong enough front to just say, hey, look, you know what? I'm not available to be experimented on. Right. How about that? I don't, I don't want to be involved in, in any of this. A human being is designed to heal him or herself. We can heal ourselves through, and I'm not a doctor. I'm just a human being who also has to concern myself with my own health and the health of my children and loved ones. And the human body heals itself. The human body needs to be put into balance as well as possible and the human's frame and structure needs to be kept in alignment as well as possible and we need to constantly purify our ourselves our our spirits our minds you know mind body spirit but our healing ability is so magnificent that it must be respected when we say we prefer the less intervention approach i believe in taking less medicine I'd rather not take medicine. I'd rather food be my medicine. I'd rather work on my overall health, which means sleeping properly, eating properly, exercise, positive thinking. Walking is an art form. Sitting properly in your chair and not causing structural defects through through sitting with poor posture. I mean, there's so many subtle things that go into the self and and being healthy. And I want to take it a a step further on that tip too, and that's it. You know, every culture has its ancient and its medicinal, traditional healing customs, every culture. Right. And many of these healing customs go back thousands and thousands of years. Uh, They predate the concept of um, Western, what we call Western medicine, uh, what we call uh, vaccine technology, whatever. They predate, they predate these things by thousands of years, and they are relevant and still in use. They are still very potent and very powerful. In fact, they 
grown probably, they've only grown more powerful over thousands of years of use and more effective, more safe and effective, truly safe and effective. And so when I saw this whole sort of like total um, raising of this Western medicine approach onto a pedestal above all other medicinal art forms, which are, and, and we, you know, we spent the probably last 20 years really having this big acknowledgement of medicine like acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine. We've had really a great uh, acknowledgement of Ayurveda, all these things. And so, you know, it's not like we as a, as a, as a massive group in humanity weren't aware the, of the traditional medicinal forms. We didn't really shine the spotlight on African medicine, but African medicine is, in many cases, even more effective and even more powerful and more ancient. And I, when I say Africa, I mean that loosely because Africa is huge. Right. But uh, uh, to see this hoisting of this... Pharmacology. Yeah, of this pharma, which grew out of a certain small area of, of Europe during a certain time period when um, these ideas were coupled with a lot of other, to see that hoisted on a pedestal, as I say, if you don't see that this is biased, if you don't see that this is, in a way, racist, if you don't see this, then, then maybe that shows that, that we've, how much conditioning we've all been through. Right, right. Excellent. There's a book that I need to get a copy of this book because I've actually been referencing it for years and I haven't read the book. But I heard an interview with a doctor named Dr. Joel Wallach yeah. and he wrote a book called, maybe I could get him as a guest on this show one day, depending on his stance on COVID. Hopefully he was one of the brave ones. I got to go <laughs> track him down. Right. But, um, but Dr. Joel Wallach wrote this book called Dead Doctors Don't Lie. And the premise of the book is that doctors actually have a very average life expectancy, wow. which is an incredibly important observation that I think we should examine, which is if these people are responsible for wellness and longevity, why do they have nothing to show for it themselves? Right. They, they're dying just like average people. Well, I'm going to add something to that. And okay. that is I just met. Um, I was playing out in Union Square, and this woman came and danced in front of us. And I said, who is she? And she gave mm. me her name. I'm not going to mention her name. But it turns out that she is a doctor. And she has been doing a lot of work on workshops and writing papers on how to deal with depression in the medical industry. And it turns out that the medical industry is one of the most depressed of industries. And that's not good for your health. And that there is a statistic of over 400 suicides wow. among doctors and people in the medical industry wow. per year. Wow. And so what this means is that there is something going on mm -hmm. in that medical profession, medical industry, that needs really careful attention. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, it's interesting. You flashed me back to um, a guest that we had, a medical student, was a guest in, in my family home for a short time, a few yeah. years ago. And I mean, it was like they were putting him through a military boot camp. Right. I mean, his schedule, it was just, it was cruel. Right. It's like, hey, they're, they're working very hard, they're studying, let them get a reasonable amount of rest. But yep. it was almost like this sort of 
it's almost like military hazing or something. The way it's like you have to show up at four in the morning and do a 14 hour shift. And why don't you guys, for example, just manage your your personnel better so people can get better sleep as they're caring for other people. You know, there's all these things that go on that really don't make sense as you stop and think about it. And that was a point actually from our our discussion, I think just yesterday, that I would love to raise here on the air, which is what an incredible thing that people have bought into when something is proven wrong, as we've seen so many things just proven wrong one after the other. And I'm referring, for example, to Joe Biden saying, you're not going to get COVID if you take these vaccinations. And then that was proven over and over again. Well, how do we know that just that one thing is wrong? Right. If you say something that's so fundamentally wrong, well, now we know that generally you're not reliable in terms of the information you're providing. How is it that we assume, oh, I'm sure it's just that one major thing that's wrong, but everything else is copacetic, you know? And he, he, I'll say this, some of his worst statements. For any sitting president to say that I'm growing impatient with those of you that didn't take the jab. Now, for a sitting president, and you are going to pay for this, to to make a veiled threat like that from the podium of the White House, And for the media to not even recognize it. I, I find it horrific. I can't believe what's going on with that. It's, it's just unbelievable. Like a president who mandated drugs that are now associated right. with heart attack, stroke, right. thrombosis of all kinds, autoimmune disorders. As we've said on this program before, the widest side effects profile of any known medication Myocarditis. Yeah, myocarditis to an absurd extent. And then to double down and announce this new wave of shots, this up-to-date version of the injection, and just to be, as a friend of mine put it, completely unfazed as one peer-reviewed paper after another comes in, as it's been mentioned as well on this show, we're into over 1,000 peer-reviewed papers referencing if everyone loves peer review so much, well, yeah, go check it out. There's 1,000, over 1,000 peer-reviewed papers referencing the harm that these shots have caused and across a range of symptoms. Now, we have not too much time. If anyone would like to call in um, and you're listening and enjoying the conversation and have an inclination to join, please call 888-874-4888. We love to hear from you on the baseline. And while we're waiting for you to call in, Brother Kevin, can you give us um, your contact info, basically? How can we follow you? How can we keep track of what you're doing? Well, you know, there's uh, the Instagram handle, as long as Instagram allows me to keep my page. You know, they give me threats every once in a while. They're going to take my page down. Mm-hmm. But uh, my Instagram handle is Kevin Nathaniel Healing. So if you just say K-E-V-I-N-N-A-T-H-A-N-I-E-L, Healing, put that together, you'll find me on Instagram. And uh, Instagram will send you a notice as soon as you try to find me. It says, are you sure you want to friend this guy? <laughs> He's been found to have been sharing uh, misinformation repeatedly. Right. So um, that's where you get to laugh back at Instagram and say, I know who's really sharing the misinformation. Yeah, take a screenshot of that <laughs> when they give you that message. Right. So that's one way. You can find me on Facebook. It's just Kevin Nathaniel. You'll see a big smiling face. And... Um, 
other than that, I, my website is kevinnathaniel.com. Pretty easy to find, too. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. So, yeah, and by the way, folks, um, I'm sorry to solicit my own work here. <laughs> Don't but, be sorry, just do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm so reluctant. I'm not a good salesman. I'm not a good capitalist. <laughs> but please, folks, I do put a lot of thought into the articles that I write, and I've written a series of articles. I'm on Substack, Jeremiah Hosea, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H. H-O-S-E-A. Also, please check out jeremiahhosea.com. That's where my music is. We have this group that we've mentioned here at the beginning of the program, this, the Healing Sound Ensemble. Yes. And um, if you have a yoga institute, if you would like a healing environment to be created, we've really um, done some really nice stuff in our first few gigs. We have folks laid down in a relaxed, meditative environment. We have gongs. We have healing bowls. Kevin is playing his enchanting Ambira music. I'm playing on the acoustic bass guitar. And um, that's you know a project that we are going to move forward with, the Healing Sound Ensemble. So, uh, Dylan, do we have a call on the line? Oh. Yes, we have D uh, Nita from Denver. Oh, oh awesome. Okay. Nita. Can you hear me? Nita, are you hey there? Hey, guys. Hey, yes, Nita. This Nita. is our sister, Nita. <laughs> so glad to hear from you, Nita. How's Denver today? Jeremiah? Yeah, can Kevin? you hear me? Yes. We hear you. Can you hear us? Testing, Hello? Testing, testing, one, two, three. We can hear okay. you. Okay. I couldn't hear you guys. I oh. couldn't hear you. Hi, guys. Hey, Hi, Nita. welcome, Nita. We're so glad <laughs> to hear from you. How's Denver today? Thank you. It's beautiful. Yeah, thanks. Excellent. So so good to hear you guys. Thanks for yeah. Hi. Well, yeah, Nita is a courageous freedom fighter herself. Absolutely. And um, you know, she's Nita's like you know she's a fighter. You know, sometimes you got to hold her back a little bit. <laughs> she jumps right in. But that you know, it's such a great thing to have a friend like that who just has your back instinctively. Yeah. So Nita, you know, tell us what you're feeling today on, on a on a lovely day in Denver. I mean, we know you've experienced a lot of hardship. That I mean, we, we need to dedicate another program actually to right. what you've been through personally. There we go. But but talk to us about what you've been through a little bit. You know. Um, I, I was just going to say, I think that the saddest part of all this is how it's separated family as well as communities. Um, um, you know, my own, my own brother will never speak to me again because I chose not to vaccinate. And um, I know that that's probably one of the, the biggest tragedies of this whole thing is, is it separated families. And I feel like it was by design. Um, so I'm yes. feeling a little bit of that. And to go back to what Kevin was saying, you know, misinformation. I mean, if you said anything about uh, your thoughts on this in any way, shape, or form, presented information, possibly even directly from the CDC, um, you know, you're put on a list immediately. And now they just, they don't even tell you what, what they just say, your post is misinformation, we've removed it. They don't even give you the option to say, to fight it, to, to you know. And it's, it's crazy. It, I don't, that is, to me, that is just the, the biggest, it's very telling, you yes. know, like, wow. Um, so that's, those are some important things that I'm not sure that other people realize are happening to those of us that are trying to, um, I don't know, Tell just trying to educate other people. Yeah. Educate other people so that everybody has informed consent. That's really what we all want. We want, 
you you have the decision to make that for yourself, but are you really being informed? Do you really have all the information, which we know they don't. Right. Um, I, to add to that, Nita, um, you know, there's been a couple of lawsuits that the Biden administration have lost in court. And um, they were actually instructed by one judge that they were not supposed to put any pressure on any social media figures or anything to uh, to censor information. Uh, they immediately appeal all the time. Uh, that That is probably going to go to the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, what the Biden administration have done and a lot of social media has done, I think regardless of whether Biden has, Biden administration has laid any pressure on them, is to double down on the censorship. The censorship has been doubled down over the last Insane. few weeks. Insane. Yes, and, and as a matter that's what of fact, I mean. Uh, yep. Na- Naomi Klein, I mean, she's been outstanding. Uh, not, no, not Naomi Klein. Naomi Wolf, pardon me, not to mix up the two Naomi's. Naomi Wolf was just covering internal emails showing that, yeah, the Biden administration knew good and well this stuff was damaging people's hearts and damaging people's blood and push forward with this. So that's where this just takes it to a whole other dimension. Of how do you vote for people who are right. knowingly harming the population on a massive scale? We have one more call, I think, um, that we're going to try okay. to sneak in. So, Nita, I'm so happy you called in. It's great to hear from you. Have a beautiful day, sister. Thanks and for thank you, you guys. Thanks for you guys. Shine bright. You Talk too. to you later. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. We have Derek from New York, so um, it's great to hear. Hello. From, hey, Brother Derek, how are you doing today? All right, thank you. Uh, thank you, Jeremiah. Thank you, Kevin. Thank for you. Sharing. Uh, yeah, I, if I might say that what we're experiencing, so it seems, is this, this, this major attempt to change the whole paradigm of human relationship, of society, of community, from this, you know, you know, moving toward liberation and freedom to a more controlled, surveilled, and limited existence. Right. And, and to make How that well big shift. <laughs> right. Yeah, to make that big shift, we introduced this fear, this serious fear drug, which is a powerful drug. And like the uh, sister said before, guys, family, you're going against family. I mean, members, family members going against each other. Excuse me. So, I mean, it all stems from this, the the misuse of emergency powers, which is an illegitimate power in the first place. Right. Emergency doesn't discount human rights. It doesn't discount uh, Constitution or whatever. You're hitting all the But that's the the angle they use to worm into people's, uh, to get their cooperation with their own re-enslavement. Right. So the question is, uh, what do we do about it? Because it's quite extensive. It's a, it's a social engineering operation. It's, a, it's, a, it's an applied psychological, behavioral psychological operation. It's a psyop. You know, it's all that. And it's at every level of the uh, elite class that controls money supply, that controls energy that controls technology, that controls pharmaceuticals, and all that. And and they got the weapons. They control the military industrial yep. uh, nex- nexus. Yep. So, but we, you know, people outnumber the small elite. So it's just a matter of waking up, and eventually it'll happen. They can't, they can't suppress masses of humanity 
for very long. But the more they put this thing into place, the more people are going to wake up and see what it is. Right. Well, you know, there's two ways of looking at it. You know, there's there's two ways of looking at it in general. I don't mean to cut you off, but we are coming to the end of the program. And I just wanted to say, you know, in general, we could say that um, they're so powerful and they're overwhelming us. But another point of view is they're very desperate. Right. And they're they're losing their power and they perceive that. So don't lose the fight before don't lose the fight in the psychological aspect of the fight. We have to be on the up and up and positive about who we are and what we're doing. And the unity. Yeah, it's inevitable that it'll fail because it's a bad idea. It's anti-life. Exactly. So it's fail. Hey, brother it's Derek, fail. I have to say, how much damage? How much damage in the meantime? Speaking of damage, brother Derek, you you were hitting cleanup today. <laughs> you, you're our cleanup hitter. I'm so glad that you were our last call today, and um, you know we had uh, we had Nita calling from Denver, so the bases were loaded, and you just came and just knocked it out of the park. There you go on the so, baseline. You know, on the baseline. <laughs> so you know, thank you so much, Derek. And I want everyone to know, listen, folks, I'm at the service of this movement here. I'm not here to aggrandize myself. I'm taking time out to be here every week, and it's a great honor for me. And I promise to keep delivering in terms of guests who are bringing different perspectives. Next week, we have Sunjata Gibson to talk about the incredible. Sujata. Oh, Sujata, sorry, pardon me. Thank you for the sorry. correction. Um, who's going to be our guest to discuss the enormous legal victory that was achieved just this past week on behalf of the healthcare workers in New York State who lost their jobs because of these dehumanizing mandates. So the struggle continues. Please share the archive to this show. Please look at my Substack and share that. Please subscribe to the Substack. Just literally day by day, inch by inch, row by row, I'm just I'm I'm moving forward with this medical freedom conversation and I just want to be of service to the community as well as I can. So thank you again for joining us on the baseline. Next week, we have another incredible guest, as I just mentioned. And thank you, Brother Kevin Nathaniel, for being here. Um, it's always a pleasure to work with you, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. It's a pleasure and an honor. So glad to be in. Like you, I want to be of service to the medical and health freedom movement. Um, and listen, everybody, uh, just share the love with your friends. Go out, shake a hand, make a friend, talk to people, change the world bit by bit. You know, tell your story to everybody um, and just make make this world a friendly place. Ashe. Yeah.